Let us remember we are always and everywhere in the holy presence of God. Hello, this is Rick, and welcome to the Presence Podcast, episode number eight, year two. So it is now evening, about 11 o'clock, and I am recording today's podcast today. The last two days were a little bit crazy. I didn't want to do the recording when I did at those times. So today, it's the time I like doing it. And I'm in the place that I like doing it. My second favorite place. My first favorite place, regular listeners will know, is out on my back patio porch. But my second favorite place is down here in my basement. It's not a comfortable man cave like I know some folks have. It's actually just next to the furnace just across from the washing machine, but I have my table with candles and my little um, cool steam diffuser that I talked about um, near the end of uh, last year's podcasts, and um, I feel pretty set. I feel pretty set. Well, I kept my eyes, my ears, and my soul open today, which was Tuesday, to experience the holy presence of God. And I'm glad you're here wherever you are. Maybe you're sitting, standing, biking, moving, whatever you're doing, wherever you are. Thank you for sharing a few minutes with me. So I've been thinking a lot today about stories or narratives. And I've been thinking about narratives because of the TV show, the, West, the HBO show, Westworld. Now, I think I may have mentioned in passing that I got three months free of HBO, so I have been watching Westworld. And I watched the um, first season kind of very quickly, and now I'm just finished the third episode of the second season. And um, I'm sure I'll comment more about Westworld on a different podcast, but I bring it up today because there is frequent talk in that show about narratives which for the hosts, which are the robots that occupy this park, if you're not familiar, the theme of Westworld is it's a theme park with these incredibly realistic, human-like realistic robots that they call hosts that each are programmed with a story, a story loop that they go through and that um, the human guests who come enter into these loops and, and take part in the stories of these various robot hosts. So there's a lot of talk about these narratives. And I, I've been thinking also um, about stories and narratives in my religion classes. Today I read to my students the first of six creation myths that I um, I'm going to feature with my students, and I think they enjoyed it. I, I really sensed that they were listening, and I've given them a chart to fill out so we can do some comparative um, looks at these different stories. and And I think it's a it's a lesson or a a piece of a lesson that I think is um, is valuable and interesting. Because let's face it, you know, even in this day and age of so many visual things that we have and stimulations, and you know, we're moving towards virtual reality. Audio, listening, being told a story still has incredible power. And I think emotional power that even maybe images don't have because we're using different parts of our brain and activating different parts of our mind and our imagination and so forth 
when we listen as opposed to watch. I was also thinking about stories as I listened to the speeches tonight, the speech by the President Trump um, and also the speeches by um, Chuck and Nancy, as they are colloquially called these days, Speaker of the House and the um, Senate Minority Leader. Not in that order, Chuck and Nancy. Nancy and Chuck, it should be. Anyway, I was thinking about the very different stories that they are telling about the border and what is needed at the U.S. southern border. And I think what is different about the stories is that one story is really based on fear, which is the story that Trump is telling, the story of a crisis, the story of an emergency, the story of bloodshed and violence and all of these horrible, terrible things that are happening because of people illegally crossing the southern border and his claim that now a physical barrier will prevent all of that. The Democrats, on the other hand, the story, their, their speeches, I felt, were very short and very focused, saying, no, this is not necessary. This is not what people want. This is ridiculous, period. I think their story is a different one. It's certainly a more hopeful one. And it's certainly one that says, this is not the crisis we need to be focused on. There are plenty of crises, the opioid addiction crises, the crumbling infrastructure of our country, the gun violence, and the list goes on. But not this crisis. This is not a crisis. And again, I I think it's just two very different stories. And fear is an activating story for some. And I think it activates because it taps into a fear that certain people, Trump's base, are carrying around within them. And it is a fear that the world is changing so quickly. It is a fear that the other, those people, whomever they are, and in this case, it's, you know, so reported terrorists and drug dealers and crazy people, whatever, coming up, you know, in droves and the caravan and blah, blah, blah. You know, they're, they're, that, that story just taps into and activates other fears that they have, economic fears, fears of change, fears that their communities are crumbling, fears that people they see around them are dying from addiction and overdoses. And the thing is, with fear that is being fanned and increased and tapped into, facts really aren't going to have an impact on it, you know? I mean, I, I heard, I was listening to the speeches on NPR, and there were some very interesting facts about the reality of the situation. And if you stay with me through the break, I will share with you some of the ones that were most striking to me, and then I will share some stories, short stories, quick stories, of my own experience of the southern border. Thank you for staying with me through the break. And as promised, here are some of the things I learned from the NPR coverage that disputed directly some of the claims that 
Trump made during his speech. First of all, this idea that drugs are flowing through people that are crossing the border, which was implied, that's not true because the vast majority of drugs that are being smuggled into the United States are coming in automobiles or trucks through ports of entry. So they're coming through the uh, places where they should be checked and they should be searched, but they're not. And that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, think of how much more a truck or a car can carry of material, drugs in this case, than a single human being. So that idea that a wall would somehow significantly stop the drug flow is ridiculous. Secondly, even the claim that, um, that so much crime is being committed by immigrants. Multiple studies have shown that as a whole, immigrant populations are less likely to commit crimes than non-immigrant populations, than domestic U.S. citizens. And sure, it's horrible that stories that Trump told of people dying, they're terrible. Any life lost is terrible, yes. But people are hit by lightning at greater rates than people are killed by recent undocumented people. And then the claim about terrorists. That one is ridiculous. And that one's even been debunked, where on Fox News the other day, Sarah Sanders, Trump's spokeswoman, uh, was challenged by the Fox News host when she said thousands of people have been stopped for terrorists at the southern border. And that's just not true. Documents by the U.S. government that came out in the last couple of days said it's been six people, just six, at the southern border. And the greater risk of terrorists entering the country, the far greater risk is the northern border, the Canadian border. So three important facts that just aren't true, that have been three important statements that just aren't true, that facts don't back that up. But again, we're beyond emo- we're beyond facts here. We're into emotion, and specifically the emotion of fear. And I think more than anything else, we have a president who's afraid of his grip on the power that he's gained. I think we have a fear in his followers that after the 40 seats that the Democrats picked up, that investigations are going to intensify, and it will, I think, very likely force him to leave the presidency, or at the very least not be reelected in 2020. So I think there is a fear that this is a last ditch effort, that this wall must be built at all costs. The stories that weren't told by Trump tonight are of the 800,000 federal workers who are affected, who aren't getting paychecks, who aren't going to get a paycheck this Friday. TSA people and even Border Patrol agents that are working, have been working, and will not get a paycheck on Friday. Those were the people that Trump did not mention in his um, speech. But I want to conclude here with three little stories that could be much longer stories, and they're stories about the border and my experience on the border. Um, Gosh, more than 20 years ago, back in the early 90s, I led groups of students, two different small groups of students, to Tijuana, Mexico. I lived in Napa, California and taught up there um, at the time. And these were not mission trips where we went and, and did service in a village or 
you know, with a, a specific group of people for multiple days and, you know, built a, lit- a latrine or a school or something like that. Instead, there, there was service, but it was really about being on the border, on the other side, the Mexican side of the border, for multiple days, like five or six days, living simply in community and just meeting people and hearing stories and witnessing what it's like. Three specific moments stand out for me. One is being up above the border on a hill where there were expensive homes in Tijuana, Mexico. There are incredible slums, which I'll talk about in a moment. But from this vantage point, you could see the border very clearly. It was night when we went up there. And the border 20 years ago was well lit. There were um, security, all kinds of security. You could see it. And it was, you could make out this line, this bright line that marked the no man's land of the border. And you could see on the horizon, San Diego looked a lot like the Emerald City did as Dorothy and her friends got to the end of the Yellow Brick Road. That hope and that dream that it provided. And I could imagine migrants, refugees, people, families standing close to where I was, seeing the border and seeing what lay beyond it. The second moment was seeing the wall, because there is a wall, not the kind of concrete wall or steel slats that Trump wants, but there, there is a wall, and it ran up and down hills, and it ran all the way into the ocean. And I think I've mentioned this before, but it, it's such a stark, striking image. And for me to think that we can think that we can divide an ocean is, is insane, that we can put a fence up, a barrier into the ocean and that that would make any kind of difference because it was only about less than a hundred yards and somebody could swim around it. Not very hard at all. Probably was shallow enough that you could even walk around it at low tide. But the Mexican side where we were, there was life and excitement and vendors and people. And on the U S side, there was nothing but border patrol and vans sitting there watching us because you could see through the fence in, in parts, but watching us and watching people just watching. And I thought that was memorable. And then finally, the last point was on the two trips that I made to Tijuana. um, One time we went to where people lived in the dump and saw their shanty towns, their homes made out of things they could scavenge, roads that were dirt, no running water, no electricity. And then the second time we went to where they quote unquote worked, which was in the dump where trucks were coming and incredible numbers of birds and mangy dogs were foraging and the people were there, people, men and women and children were digging through garbage, trying to find something of value that they could sell just to survive. And we served them. We brought them um, food and sandwiches and water, bottled water and seeing their joy at receiving that and feeling myself and and the students, the shame of, of witnessing human beings 
living like this. And to me, it just brought home how far people will go to just survive and how people are, are wanting to enter the United States. And right now, the majority of them who are wanting to enter are seeking asylum. They are refugees, families, children, and they're seeking asylum. And the wall, it doesn't deter them. It's not going to deter them. There is a humanitarian crisis, but Trump's wall is not going to solve it. It's only going to divert money and resources and attention away from what the real problem is, which is children dying in, 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 in shelters, families being separated, none of the things that Trump and his base want to look at and to acknowledge. So I conclude with a quote about stories that I think I shared this on the podcast recently. And it's this, it's not where is God in my story? It's where am I in God's story? What is my role? What is my purpose? What is my calling? And I think about the migrant mom with small children, that picture that I think I talked about on this podcast of tear gas being fired at this mom dragging these two small children and one of the children is in their underwear and they're barefoot. Where is she in God's story? Where is her children in God's story? You know, Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, blessed are the poor. Luke said, woe to those who are rich and full and hungry and powerful. It's pretty clear, I think, where that mom is in God's story. And, you know, I want to be in the right place in God's story. And it's not about a wall. It's about compassion and it's about care and it's about not fear, faith and hope and love. So thank you for your patience with this being a longer, um, a longer episode but it's something I feel very strongly about. And I, I really even feel more sadness than anger, I think, at this point. Um, I just want this to end, this time, this period, this presidency. I want us to be able to move on. And I feel like we are moving in that direction. It's just taken so, so long. So... I leave you with these questions. Just where is your heart in the midst of this? What are your fears? What is your hope? And where is God in the midst of this? And where are we with God as a nation right now? Thanks as always for listening. Blessings and peace.